This is Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, which is part of the Replicate Podcast Network. It is a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. Here is your host, Chris Swain. Today on the podcast, we are going to talk about a different kind of kingdom. When you think of kingdom, I know when I think of kingdom, I immediately think back to like Robin Hood, the Crusades, uh, Braveheart. (laughs) I'm thinking of like a castle with a king who is telling everyone what's up. He's he's taxing everybody and uh, and uh, and knights in shining armor. (laughs) That's what comes to my mind. Yeah. The ruling kingdom, king in a kingdom. But today we're talking about something a little bit different. As we continue to work through the Gospels, uh, we're looking at, uh, what, Matthew chapter 2 today a little bit? Yeah, and we're picking up from last week. And, yeah, and if if you're watching or, or not watching, if you're listening or joining watching, us consistently. Please let us know how. Yeah, if you're watching us, now we're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, if you're listening to us, you have hopefully followed along up to this point. We're building on each week. And last week we talked about uh, Herod, the king. And in Matthew 2, remember, it starts with King Herod meets the wise men. Verse 3, it says, when King Herod heard, he was disturbed. And then once we have the birth announcement of Jesus, which is interesting, then we have his name no longer with the title king anymore. Mm -hmm. It's simply just Just Herod. Herod. Yes. Okay. Now, why is that important? Because what Matthew is trying to describe to us, Chris, is is something we miss sometimes. Mm. And what we see happening here is a battle for two kingdoms. Okay. You have Herod's kingdom on one hand versus Jesus, the new king, on the other hand. Two very different kingdoms, two very different kind of leaders. Okay. So what we're going to do first is hopefully before the break, we'll unpack Herod after the break, we'll contrast Jesus. Might go a little further with Herod, but first of all, let's talk about Herod's kingdom. And for those who don't know much about Herod, uh, Herod was a very wealthy man. Pop quiz, Chris. How did he gain? And this is the dad, Herod. So remember, he had three sons and yeah. Antipas, uh, Herod, Philippi, and, and he had his, uh, you know, he had three sons. So what, what was the reason for the wealth? Do you know? I actually do know the answer to this question. Agrippa was the other one. Spice. Spice, yes. How'd you know? Golly. Spice traders, yes. Maybe learning something here. You're listening. You're listening. Okay. Herod's family was in the spice trade, and obviously because of the Roman roads and the uh, advancement of uh, travel and uh, making the world smaller through the roads, they were able to make a ton of money. And so Herod had just exuberant amount of money he didn't know what to do with. So guess what he decided to do? Because he wanted to be known for something. He wanted people to honor him long after he was gone for being what? Do you know? Yeah, we talked about, I don't know what he wanted to be honored for, but we talked about last week how to show your significance, you built stuff in the- Yes, that's exactly right. You build things. And what you build is your legacy. Yeah, now here's an interesting little side note about Herod. I learned this when I was in Israel. Um, people are amazed at the engineering feat of Herod the Great. I mean, if you go to Israel and see the temple where he added on to the Temple Mount, there are stones that are hundreds, I mean, tons and tons. No, even modern technology would have a hard time moving 
stones today with these enormous cranes we have today. Mm -hmm. And yet they built these buildings and he built these structures. And what happened was, here's an interesting little sidebar. He destroyed all of the documents that he used to build. He didn't want anybody to know how he did it. He yeah. just wanted people to see it and be in awe and say, Herod. Hey, now you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can imagine he was a man of great humility. Right. <laughs> Sounds like it. No, he was actually a man of great paranoia. He was paranoid. He was always thinking people were coming to attack him. He was always thinking people were going to take his money. And so he decides to build a couple different fortresses, a couple different um, buildings. I have one when you can have two. Or three, you know, so he built three big ones. <laughs> he built a few of them, but three main ones we know of. The first thing we know of is the Temple Mount. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now you're probably wondering, why is this Jewish? Uh, he, he is Jewish. You can connect his lineage to the, to the Jewish nation. However, he was secular and he was, um, he lived as a pagan. So he did not, uh, he, he pulled his Jewish card when he needed it, but he wow. was not, um, he was not uh, following the commands of God. He wasn't making sacrifices. He wasn't going to the temple. In fact, the only reason he built the temple mount is he wanted people to come to Jerusalem and be in awe of the master builder, Herod the Great. Mm. Called himself the Great. Obviously, he was going for something <laughs> there. But okay, now, so he did builds he come he up with that name himself, or is that what people called him? No, I think that's what he called himself. Did he sit yeah. around and say, okay, I think I want to be called the Great? Yeah, what is bet? What is it? Herod the best, the better, the great. Okay, I'll go with the great. <laughs> Okay, so the second thing he builds is a place called Masada. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever had the privilege of going to Masada, if you haven't, you need to when things kind of settle down. We're, we're taking a trip back to Israel, hopefully 2022, after we take our Greece trip in 2021. Hopefully. I'm just hoping for a Greece uh, excursion. I know, at some point. I know. Golly, I am too. We can never travel. We shall see. Yeah. Okay, so Masada was a place that uh, he built as a getaway. Okay. And if you remember the story of Masada, 930, 40 men and women retreated there after the Romans came in in AD 70 and destroyed Jerusalem. The Jewish people retreated to Herod's palace on the top of this mountain. It's kind of one way up. It's really protected at the top and it was impenetrable. And Herod built this amazing place. And excuse me, if you've ever been there, you're blown away by the mosaics. You're blown away by the tapestry uh, or, or, or not tapestry, the, the paintings uh, on the walls. Uh, you're blown away by the tile on the floor. In fact, in today's culture, he would have spent hundreds of millions of dollars to build this thing. Now, here's a fascinating fact about Herod. There is no evidence. I mean, this thing is like a multi, multi uh, million dollar mansion on the top of a mountain. Now, here's what's crazy. I mean, he had his own water cisterns. He had uh, one way up, you know, one way down. I mean, this thing was perfect. Here's, here's an interesting little caveat about it. There is never a record that Herod himself stayed there. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> millions and millions of dollars to build on top of a mountain. Think about the work just getting the materials up there, okay? I mean, this is a trek. Today, some people walk it. It takes about an hour. I'm not a walker, so I ride the tram up. It's kind of like a gondola. You know, you're right. But uh, just to get the materials up there, much less build it, okay? And he never went to it. That tells you a lot about his character. This is a man who is simply just wanting to flaunt 
what he mm. has. And this is going to set up the, 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 the dueling clashing kingdoms. Okay. The third place that we're going to really focus on mm-hmm. is uh, Herodium. This is going to play into that name sounds familiar. Is it by any chance named after Herod? The great sounds from, yeah, I think you're (laughs) wild guess, but I think you're right. He, he names this, uh, mountain, if you will, palace after himself. In fact, he calls it the whole mountain himself. Now here's what's interesting. Interesting little side note. Uh, Herod wanted to build a fortress on top of a mountain where there was no mountain. If you, you go look this up on the internet, there was nothing there. So Herod decides, this is crazy, to bring in the dirt to build a mountain. And then on top of the mountain, he's going to build a palace. And he humbly calls it Herodium. 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 <laughs> now, here's what's interesting about this mountain. There is, a, there is one time in the Bible where Jesus actually refers to a mountain. We can't prove this completely, but boy, it it really makes us think. Jesus says one time to the disciples about a mountain. Mm -hmm. And when we get back, I'm going to show you why this could possibly be the very mountain Jesus is looking at when he says, you can move with prayer. You can say to that mountain, move from here to there, and it will be done. We'll find out more about that after this break. As you lead your disciple-making movement, the Replicate Network provides ongoing practical training and a community of like-minded church leaders to help you and your church thrive. Each month, you'll get frameworks, a Q&A time with Robbie Gallaty, and access to our online forums and groups. We will provide you with prayer and personal support, practical resources, discounts, and benefits as you seek to make disciples who make disciple-makers. Check out the Replicate Network today at replicatenetwork.com. And we're back talking about a different kind of kingdom. When we left, we were discussing an amazing, well, amazing is one word, uh, maybe a prideful building of a mountain. You want to build on top of a mountain, but there's no mountain. So you build a mountain first. <laughs> that is insane. <laughs> but apparently that's that that's the kind of guy. Uh, we've got here. So we talked about Herod's kingdom, uh, his money that he made from the spice trade, the fact that he was definitely secular. He was not pursuing the Lord. He was not not, uh, living right, so to speak. He built Masada, the Temple Mount, and Herodium. And we left off, you mentioned something about Jesus saying something about moving a mountain. That was intriguing. Yeah, so Matthew 21, verse 20, 1, 21, 21. Jesus tells the disciples, you could say to the mountain, be moved from here to there, be thrown into the sea, and it will be done. Now, who in, who in the world would ever think of saying to a mountain to be moved unless they know about the man Herod who actually made a mountain out of nothing? The context certainly now makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I mean, we don't know if that's what it is, but it is interesting because yeah. remember, Jesus never taught in... Um, random ideas. Jesus never just came up with just, uh, you know, things in his head and said, let me teach you. Jesus was a visual teacher. The disciples were visual learners. So Jesus is always teaching. When he's teaching on sowing the seeds, he sees a man sowing. When he's teaching on the fig tree, he sees a fig tree. When he teaches on the vineyard, John 15, they are walking, I believe, through a vineyard. 
Okay, so this is Jesus's way of teaching. That's how rabbis taught. So it lends it lends the, the into the case that, yeah. or lends us to believe that there is a case to be made for the mountain. Okay, now why is Herodium important? If you know the geography of Herodium, in comparison to another city, and this is going to blow you away, another city, it is a perfect clash of kingdoms, two kingdoms colliding at one place. Now, Herodium is this enormous mountain that provides a shadow in a sense, this small little town, the smallest of all the towns, according to what the Bible says. Uh, you are least among the rulers of Judah. That's what the Bible says. Bethlehem. Wow. Herodium is built in the distance and Bethlehem is in a sense in the shadow of Herodium. Now, why would God, think about this, why would God, consider this, allow his son, the king of the world, to be born under the shadow of the, of the King Herod, the palace, the great uh, Herodium, uh, the place where kings are, the place where golden trumpets welcome you in, the place where royalty is? Yeah. Why would God decide to allow Jesus to be born in Bethlehem? So a couple of things I want you to consider as we do this. When Jesus comes in the world, very different than Herod, he doesn't come with a grand entrance. There are no royal uh, envelopes sent with golden seals to the high courts of the land for people to come see the birth of a king. If anybody deserved the welcoming uh, of a child into the world as king of the world, it would be Jesus. And yet there's no parades. Uh, there's no trumpets. Uh, there's no golden envelopes. There's no... Uh, announcements to the high court of the land. And so basically we see Jesus come in the world, not wrapped in royal clothing. Mm -hmm. Jesus comes in the world wrapped in swaddling clothes. Mm -hmm. Jesus doesn't make an entrance into the high courts of a palace. Jesus is born in the shadow of Herodium in a stable. The welcoming committee for Jesus is not kings and queens and princes. Think about the contrast here. The welcoming committee are animals in a stable. <laughs> Think about this. And so you're, you're probably thinking, well, what are the scents that Jesus comes into? Is it nice incense burning with smells from uh, the East? No, it's stinky farm animals with other smells you can imagine. And why do I make this contrast? I want you to think about this. When the king of the world decides to make an entrance into the world, he doesn't come the way kings normally come. He actually shows us in his coming the kind of character that he has. He comes to a poor peasant family. He comes struggling with rejection. The whole family has a, uh, they, they have a question over their head about what they did. There's a scandal that he comes into the world surrounding. Did Mary sleep with Joseph out of wedlock? They are pushed out of the inn. There's no room in the inn. They're surrounded by animal feces. They don't have a place to feed him. So he's eating out of an animal trough. And yet he comes into Bethlehem. Now, why is this important? Bethlehem, compared to Erodium, is two Hebrew words. The two Hebrew words for Bethlehem are Beit Lechem. Beit Lechem. Bethlehem. Okay. Bait is the Hebrew word for house. Uh, you've heard this in the Old Testament, the Bait Adonai, the house of the Lord, Bait Adonai. Mm -hmm. So Bait Lechem means the house of Lechem bread. 
So Jesus is born in the house of bread, or better yet, Jesus is born in a bread factory. Okay. Now, why is that important? Because bread is the motif or picture through the Bible of God sustaining his people, God satisfying his people, God giving life to his people. And we could trace it all the way back to Moses in Exodus 12 at the Passover. They had unleavened bread. It's introduced at the Passover. And for the rest of the nation till today, the rest of the holiday, you're going to celebrate on Passover bread. It's a picture of the sustenance of God, picture of the sacrifice, unleavened bread. Then you go into the wilderness, Exodus 16, God rains down bread for the people. Then you go through the prophets. Elijah is doing miracles with bread. Is it any wonder when Jesus comes, he's going to do a miracle with bread, not once, but twice, 5,000, 4,000. Jesus is going to get up and say, I am the bread of life, of life, right? Jesus is going to, at the last supper, take the bread and break the bread and say, this is my body. Watch this. Matthew or Luke 24 with the road to Emmaus. It wasn't until those two people, I think it's a couple, but the two people have him into the home. And when Jesus reaches for the bread and breaks it some kind of way, that's when their eyes are opened and their hearts are stirred and they say, weren't our hearts burning inside of us? So now why is that important? Jesus says, man shall not live by Bread alone. Bread alone. But you see all the connections here. Okay. Now why, is this, why is this important? Because Jesus is born in a bread factory. And I think what Jesus is showing us is this. The Jews believe that the Messiah would sustain them and provide food for them. And so now we have this with Jesus coming. And I think the significance of this for us is this. We have these dueling kingdoms. Mm. One kingdom is a kingdom of power. One kingdom is a kingdom of control. One kingdom is a kingdom of pride and sin uh, and empire. Jesus is going to come with a kingdom of humility. He's going to teach us that what is up in the world is actually down with him. And what is down in the world is actually reversed with him. If you want to have in Jesus's kingdom, you have to give. If you want to be respected in Jesus's kingdom, you've got to humble yourself lower. If you want to go up in Jesus's kingdom, you have to go down. It's counterintuitive to the world, right? Uh, if you want to, uh, if you want to be a leader, you have to serve. I mean, it's just so many different things here. And so, what do we take away from this? I think when God chooses to engage a Hellenistic, secular, Gentile world, in a sense. Mm-hmm. He doesn't come in the way that you would expect a king to come. He actually comes with a different model, with a different man, with a different message. And that's the kind of kingdom we need to adopt. So what does that mean for today? Well, here we are today living in a different kingdom. It's not Herod's kingdom. We live in the kingdom of England or the kingdom of America or the kingdom of our own worlds. Mm. One of the things we need to realize is two kingdoms cannot reign simultaneously in one heart. Hmm. So Jesus said, you can't serve two masters, either love one or hate the other. So the question I think we close with today is this, who is the king on the throne of your heart? Hmm. Who is calling the shots? Who is leading the way? Hmm. Because if I'm not careful, I can climb back up in that chair. Yeah. And that's what repentance really is. Repentance is really saying, Jesus, I'm out of the chair. 
you take it back. What am I doing in this chair? There's only one room for a king and it ain't me. Stop so trying I to build you your own mountain. Stop trying to build your own Herodium. Oh, many of us are trying to build our own mountains, our own names, our own kingdoms, our own platforms, our own, own social media presences, our big churches, our big companies for the sake of us. Hmm. And I'm here to tell you that is not the kingdom Jesus came to advance. The kingdom of Jesus is a kingdom of humility. It's a kingdom of surrender and it's a kingdom of dependence. Well, as always, another incredible insight into the kingdom of a different kind of kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so it's interesting and powerful, but also so applicable to how we live our life today. As always, if you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and text a friend right now and share it with them. You can also rate us on any platform in which you are listening to your podcast. We appreciate any ratings that we get, and we are so thankful that you're continuing to listen to the podcast. As always, have a great week, and until next time, bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Take a moment to subscribe and share this podcast. You can receive more free resources to help you make disciples in your home, group, or church by clicking the link in the show notes or visiting our website at replicate.org.